There was a man, in talking about generosity and being generous, there, there was a man who started his own business, and he started off, and he wasn't making a lot. He was making about 50 bucks a week, and so he said, you know what? God's been good to me. I'm going to tithe. And we talked about tithing last week. He said, I'm going to tithe 10%, as the Bible says, off of my $50 a week income, and so I'm going to give $5 to the church. Well, his business began to grow, it began to catch on, and he went from $500 a week to, or he went from $50 a week to $500 a week, and he said, well, I'm going to continue to tithe, I'm going to continue to give and do what God's asked me to do, and so here's $50 of my tithe, here's 10% of my income, and I'm giving 50%. Well, the business continued to grow. And it grew to $5,000 a week. He was making $5,000 a week income off the business. Everything's going good. It's awesome. It's amazing. As he starts to give to the church and tithe, he looks down and says, this is 500 bucks a week. This is $2,000 a month. This is a lot of money. Whoa, whoa. And he begins to fight the internal fight. That suddenly wasn't a problem when it was $5 a week or $50 a week. But suddenly, right, $500 a week is that's a lot of money. Well, he goes to the pastor and he says, Pastor, I, I have a problem. I, I've got to struggle. God has really blessed my business and my income and I'm earning $5,000 a week and that's, that's $500 a week to the church and I'm tithing. And I, what, what do I do? What, what should I, can you pray for me? So the pastor said, well, Absolutely. By your head, let's pray. And he says, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have blessed my friend and his business. And now his desire is to serve you. And so that he can serve you, would you reduce his income back down to $500 a week so he can continue to serve you? It's funny how everybody at some point has a generosity limit. They have a point where they're like, okay, well, that's just too much. That's too much. And and so so the pastor did the wise thing and said, okay, God, well, shrink his business so that he can give and not have to worry about the amount, right? Now all of you are like, I am not going to Tyson for help, (laughs) right? No, but we all have a limit and we all have that threshold. And one of the things that we mentioned that first week was that Our giving and our generosity is basically what stops us is a wall of fear that is washed with what ifs, what if I get a bill, what if I have to go to the doctor, what if, what if, what if, and that wall painted with what if, the foundation is nothing more than self-preservation, right? We constantly try to, self-preservation, But Jesus in the scripture never call us to self-preservation. He says, I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. You do what I ask you to do. So this morning, we're going to look at a woman who broke through the barrier. She broke through her own generosity barrier. It's found in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And it goes like this. Six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Martha serve, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you or among you, but you will not always have me. So we have two people. We have Mary with her pint, half a pint of perfume, and we have Judas, Jesus' treasurer, the man who kept the money for Jesus' ministry. Do you think that Jesus knew Judas was dipping in his finances and pulling some out for himself? Yes. Yes. It's called the grace of God, allowing him to stay on and, and watch over him because Judas played a part in the story. And in a little bit, we're going to see how everybody's generosity plays a part. Everybody has a part in the story. But here we have Mary and Judas, and Judas complains that um, we have people right outside here that aren't going to have enough money to eat this week or not have enough food or they don't have enough clothes. Why aren't we giving this to them, right? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Wherever you find generosity, you will find selfishness. Wherever you find generosity, you will find selfishness. I find that to be true in my own life. Anytime that I want to give a little more, whether it be to a church or to the child that our family sponsors in Columbia, just this past week, I sent extra money to him so he could have Christmas this year. But when I sent that, I thought, well, we already give $30 a month to this child in Columbia. Do I really need to give another 50 so he can have Christmas? You know, I'm being generous, but there's the selfishness, right? The angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other if you watch cartoons. It's, it's like, do I really, should I really, do I really want to give this extra 50 bucks? Because I know the wife's going to be like, honey, we haven't had date night in a while. And I really want to go to a movie. And your selfish side will always find a reason. And that reason will typically be blamed on, well, because of somebody else. Making your selfishness seem like generosity, but it's really not. You'd rather just have the 50 bucks for yourself. Boy, we had date night anyway. Right? Yes, okay. Right? So we, we tend to have selfishness and generosity at the same time. And selfishness will disguise itself, selfishness will disguise itself as 
generosity. Why? Because we inherently always want to get a little more for ourselves. For ourselves. We'll always inherently want a little bit more for ourselves. Judas was tempted. He's like, are you kidding me? That's a half a pint of pure nard. For the average person, that's a, that's a year's wage. That's a lot of money. If the average person in the United States makes 45 grand a year, she just took 45 grand and dumped it on his feet. Now, don't quote me on the 45 grand. I just, I just made that up. Whatever the amount is, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Why was Judas tempted in the finances? That was his area of weakness. You will, all, you will frequently be tempted in our, in our greatest area of weakness. Whatever your weakest area is in your walk with Christ, that's where you will get tempted. If that's finances, if that's little white lies so you can cover stuff up, so you can go do your own thing, if it's particular websites, if it happens to be an addiction, whatever that weakness is, that's where the enemy is going to come at you. If it's bitterness because you just let things fester on the inside, the Bible says that's a sin, and then you just blow up on them or, or whatever, the Bible says that's a sin. Whatever your weakness is, the enemy is going to dial that thing up. Your job is, and some of you who are old enough to understand this, take the phone off the hook. Others of you, it's you don't recognize the number, so you don't answer it, right? Or you turn it off, or you put it on vibrate. You just don't pick it up. You're like, mm-mm, I'll just answer it this one time. I'll just, just this one time, I'll pick it up. And it's always, why? Why is it that one time turns into two and three and four and five? Okay, well, I'll shut it off now. No, you won't. I won't. It's never just one time. And so when you take the phone off the hook, it's victory. It's success. It's winning. It's saying, I'm not answering that. I'm not even going to entertain that. Greed for Judas... And greed for all of us at some level, in some way, shape, or form, greed is temptation. Greed is temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, out of the Living Bible, it says this. But remember this. The wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Now, I love that. I just absolutely love that. And the reason that I love that is knowing that whatever I'm being tempted with right now isn't anything new. In fact, King Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new temptation. There's no new thought. There's no new, it, it, it has all existed in some form or fashion in the past. Wow. So when I think that I'm being tempted in an area, I say, time out, time out, time out. Somebody else is being tempted with this as well. 
I'm not alone. I'm not in the boat by myself. That's why we gather together. That's one of the, one of the, that's not why we gather together, but that's one of the many reasons that helps us when we gather together is because we realize, wait a minute, I'm not in the boat by myself. And so the temptation doesn't have to overcome you. You don't have to succumb to the pressure of, you're the only one being tempted with this. I'm in the boat. No. No. So the the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. And no temptation is irresistible. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. He says, not only is it not new, and not only are other people facing the same temptation that you're facing, but trust God, because when you feel the temptation, something else is going to come to your mind or into your thought life to say, you know what, I really should be going, go, I should really go and do this. God's going to provide an alternative when you're tempted. He's going to offset the enemy, but he's not going to go against your free will. You have to make the decision. And so when you feel Christ speaking to you, saying, hey, be generous. You're going to be tempted to say, no, keep it for yourself because you got this coming up or you need that. I, I, last week, I was just, someone was sharing a story with me. They had saved up for next week. They had saved up for their big give for next week. And the amount that they felt the Lord telling them to save up was substantial for them. And so they've saved it. They said, we no sooner had that money saved up and we were in a car accident. And the amount of money to get our car fixed is exactly what we have saved up for the big give. And here's the amazing part. We're giving anyway because we realize that's just Satan trying to steal God's money. And so we will find the money to fix our car elsewhere. Wow. Don't be surprised when you decide to be generous that the enemy is going to come in to do something. The enemy's not after your car, okay? He doesn't need need it. Uh, That's a surprise. He's not after your car. He's not really necessarily after your job. He's He's not after your things. He's after your mindset. And he will use things to get to your mindset. He will use situations to get to your mind. That's what he wants. He wants you to lose your joy. He wants you to back off from Jesus, and they said, no, this, this is God's money. We've saved it up for God and his purpose. Satan won't get it. We'll figure something out elsewhere. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, God's going to come through because he always does. He always will. He always has. The promises of God, the Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen. That he blesses us. But we're always going to have the temptation. We'll always have the temptation to be greedy. At least on this side of heaven, it will always be there. Now, I promise you, sin is not in heaven. Sin does not, greed does not exist in heaven. Pride does not exist in heaven. Think about how many lies and how many things that you and I do out of just sheer ego and pride and say things just out of pride and ego. Well, I'll show them or I'm going to counter that. That doesn't exist in heaven. That stuff doesn't exist in heaven. It's one of the reasons that it's heaven. 
And so on earth, we get this temptation, and we have to ask ourselves, am I going to follow the direction of greed, or am I going to go the route of generosity? Which is it? So the holidays are coming up, and Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and all of these things are coming up. And one of the great things about these holidays is food. Right. You all, nobody amen food in the holidays. Is everybody on a diet? Okay, thank you. One. I got one going, yes. And she's pregnant, so she's feeding two, right? So food is awesome. And, and when you line up and you get food, and, and it's always like, oh, no, there's, there's Aunt, Daisy's, Aunt Daisy's quiche. Mm. Her cat is always on the counter. I ain't eating that. Mm-mm. Like you have those people in your family that you know, like, yeah, I ain't eating that because I know Mm-mm, that's not okay. And then you have the other people's like, those are grandma's mashed potatoes, and I know they'll clog an artery, but I got to eat it anyway because grandma makes some taters like you ain't never had, right? Like sometimes you just don't care, so you eat it, and then there's other stuff. And one of the things that happened to us one year, I don't know what came over my family. It's never happened since, so apparently they've realized this was a bad idea. They decided just to have soup, like Thanksgiving. Everybody bring different soups. That's not okay. I mean, soup is okay, but not. There was no turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy, um, pie. There were okay. There was some pie, but there was nothing like like no cranberry jelly, no nothing. Just soup, potato soup. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to bring broccoli soup, beef, like stew, like vegetable soup. Veg. That's like. Vegetable soup is like when you're an adult and you realize, oh, I need to eat my vegetables because I didn't eat them as a kid, so I'm just going to throw them all in a bowl with some beef broth or something. That's not good either, right? And then you put beans in it. Beans aren't a vegetable. Beans are torture, okay? Just don't stop with the vegetable soup. Then somebody brought clam chowder, so I was all about that. And, you know, soup. But here's what happened. Spoon. I got a bowl, and I got a spoon. You know what you do with a spoon? You feed yourself. You know what you do with a ladle? You feed others. Somebody got it in my notes. You feed other people with a ladle. You feed yourself with a spoon. And yet, when it comes to finances, what do we do? We try to drink out of the ladle and say, here you go. God said, I never intended you to drink out of the ladle. I intended you to use the spoon. How goofy would you look sitting at a table with a ladle and be like, "Mm, just give me the ladle. Right? You like the sound effect? That wasn't intentional. And the spoon, you put in the... You put in the pot and be like, do you know how long it's going to take to build a building if we keep doing this? Do you know how long it's going to take to bless lapel if we keep doing this? I ain't got that much time. So I better get the ladle. And if the ladle ain't big enough, I'm going to dump the pot. Right? Like, shh. We have to be generous. We have to be about the Father's business. I can't, 
I can't sit here and go, hmm, this is good. Oh, you're still in line with the spoon. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? How selfish and dorky would that look? Oh, we do it all the time with our wallet. My question is, when greed and generosity hit, are you shelling out with a spoon or are you shelling out with a ladle? One is greed, feed me. One is generosity, feed other people. Are you the spoon or are you the ladle? Because Mary, opposed to Judas, Mary was interested in being a ladle. Judas was interested in being a spoon. Why would Mary care about being a ladle instead of a spoon? Because just one chapter ago, Mary had lost her brother, Lazarus. Lazarus had died. They came and they told Jesus, your friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, he's, he's dying. You need to hurry up and come. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll, I'll get there. Like, when you control life, time really isn't an issue, right? He's like, yeah, I'll get there. They're like, no, 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 he's going to die. Yeah, I know. He dies. Four days later, he's been dead for four days. Jesus shows up. He's like, it's okay, I got a plan. I've got a plan. You think in this world he's dead, but I'm telling you he's really alive, and I'll just bring him back into his earth, earth suit. I'll just, I'll just pull him into his earth suit, and he'll go. We'll all be good. Jesus is like, it's just a body. I can create one. It's not a big deal. Right? And we're all, because why? Because we're so attached to this world. Mary loses her brother. She's bawling her eyes out. She's upset. Jesus speaks into the tomb. Lazarus come out. I mean, could you just picture Lazarus in heaven? Like, having fun, partying, seeing people, talking to Moses and Abraham and whoever else. His family's up there. And he hears, Lazarus. Uh, I know that. I know that voice. Like, Lazarus, mm, what is that? What does he want? Lazarus, come out. Boom, back in the body. And what? He's in his grave clothes. It probably stinks. And he's going, who? No, I know who. Why did you call me back? Right? And I love Jesus. It says Lazarus came out of the tomb, so he's wrapped up. If you know anything about how they wrapped up, he was wrapped up and he had to do this out of the tomb and jesus goes get those off of him and just like all right i did my thing get those off of him there was no end zone touchdown dance look at me i raised somebody from the dead it was just i did my job let's move on right he's like get get the stuff off of him you think seeing your brother come back out of the grave after four days would cause you to be generous would cause you to take a half a pint, a year's salary, and dump it on that guy's feet? Yeah. It did her. She said, oh, my gosh. So several days later, when they're having a dinner for Jesus and his disciples, she's like, I just, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. And she breaks it on his feet. And Jesus says in Mark 14, 8, he says, She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my 
burial. She thought she was just being generous. But in just a few days from now, Jesus was going to be crucified. And if you remember the crucifixion, it says that when they came to take him off the cross, they were entering the Sabbath. And Jewish law prevented any work being done on the Sabbath. So they had to get him in the tomb and buried before sundown. Because a Jewish day starts at sundown and ends... At sundown, that's a full day. So in Jewish thought, I'm always moving from darkness to light. Our day starts with sunrise, and we move from light to darkness. But they move from darkness to light. There's a whole sermon right there. I'll just let you let that marinate in your mind. So in Jewish culture, when they move from darkness to light, they're like, we got to get him in the tomb. We don't have time to properly bury him. We don't have time to put the nard on his body. They just buried him. They got him in the tomb. And Jesus says, don't you understand? She's preparing me. The generosity is simply preparation for what's to come. Sometimes when we give extravagantly at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we have no idea how significant it's going to be. She had no idea how significant her putting a year's worth of nard on his body, on his feet. She had no idea how significant that was. He was prepared for burial before he was ever dead. He was ready to roll. My question to you is, what purpose might your generosity have? What purpose might your generosity have? Because Jesus said this about Mary, Matthew 26, verse 13. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Do you think that when she dumped that oil at his feet, an entire year's salary at his feet, do you think she did that thinking, okay, 2,000 years later, they're still going to talk about me? No. She wasn't thinking that. She was thinking, oh, my gosh, what you've done for me, I can't ever repay you, and I'm going to pour it back on your feet. And Jesus says, as a result, because of her generosity, they will talk about her. Wherever this gospel, wherever Jesus is talked about, she will also be talked about. Think about that. Generosity doesn't give to receive, but generosity is always rewarded by God. I don't give so I can get, even though that's a principle in Scripture. I don't sow so I can reap, even though that's a principle in Scripture. I give because of what he's done for me. Because of his own death, burial, and resurrection, and my hope for eternity, I can never repay him. And so everything belongs to him anyway. That's why I give. That's why I'm generous. When you give, God blesses you. To not bless you, God would have to go against his nature. For God not to bless you, he would have to go against his nature and his character. So when you are generous, God says, I see that. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of homework. If you don't believe me, read Hebrews chapter 11 that says God is a rewarder. God is a blesser. God's not up there ready to zap you. God's not ready to hit you with a lightning bolt. God wants to bless us. It's a partnership. Sowing and reaping is his idea, and we see it in all of creation. The Buddhists have a term for it. They call it karma. That's Buddhism. Karma is Buddhism. 
The Christians call it sowing and reaping. You sow it, you're going to get it back. It's a spiritual principle that we can easily see in our physical world. So I'm going to leave you with this story in closing. Stanford University, there were two men that were trying to work their way through college. They had racked up ample debt, and they were trying to earn their way through college, pay off some debt. So they got, they got this great idea. If we could just hold a piano concert here, we could, we could raise some money and pay off some of our debt. And so it just so happens that the Polish pianist, and I, I don't want to try to say his last name, so it's okay if you laugh. Paderewski, Paderewski was a famous Polish pianist, and he was touring the United States. And they got a hold of him and said, hey, would you come? And would you play for us? They thought, the cost will be about $2,000 for us to have Paderewski here. But whatever else we make, we can use it to pay down on our college debt, our college loans. And so Paderewski came, and he played, and at the end of the night, they had $1,600, not 2000 They couldn't even pay Paderewski his fee for playing the piano concert at Stanford University. So they walked up to Paderewski, and they said, it's not even your fee for playing tonight, but here's $1,600. And here's a note to say, we'll pay you the extra 400 when we get it. Paderewski grabbed the note from their hand and ripped it up and said, no, that won't work. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to take the $1,600. I want you to pay all of your expenses for ridding this elaborate auditorium and the piano. I want you to pay your expenses. I want each of you to take 10% of the $1,600. And then I want you to take what's left to pay your debt. I'm sorry, I want you to take 10%, this 10% of 1600 apiece, and I want you to take whatever's remainder and give it to me. Whatever's remaining. Pay your debt, each of you take 10%, and then give the remainder to me. That's what I'll take. Well, several, 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 several years later, Paderewski gets into politics, and he becomes the prime minister of Poland. The war has broken out, World War II has broken out, the Polish people are starving. But suddenly, from nowhere, and the, the United States is not involved in World War II at this point. Pearl Harbor has not been bombed, but Germany has already begun to take over Poland. We begin airlifts to Poland. We begin dropping food and providing food. And so, Paderewski goes to Paris to meet with the man that's been airlifting food. His name, Herbert Hoover. He goes to shake President Hoover's hand and he begins to profusely thank him for not allowing our people to starve and thank you for the food. Thank you for the generosity. Herbert Hoover says, that's all right, and I quote, that's all right, Mr. Paderewski. Besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student in college and I was in a hole.
you will reap what you sow. It will come back. It may not come back when you expect it to. It might come back, in Paderewski's case, when you need it the most. When the Nazis are marching in and starving your people out, and the United States brings airdrops because the president had received generosity from Paderewski when he was in college, now shares the generosity with the people of Poland. Let's stand up. Next week, we have the opportunity to give, and we can give with a spoon, or we can give with a ladle. Now, everybody's ladle is a different size, based on your income and based on so on. But I'm going to invite you next week, as we get ready to give, because I believe that this town and this community, I believe Lapel, I believe Southwest Madison County is worth it, is worth the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Lapel was the only town that ever existed, Jesus would have came and died in Lapel. He would have, because that's what it takes to buy back the human race. That's generosity. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be generous. Lord, may we realize that greed and generosity are <laughs> they're just there. They're there together and as long as we live on this earth, we'll continue to struggle with this idea of greed and generosity, greed and generosity. Well, Lord, we know that it's your nature to be merciful. It's your nature to be gracious. It's your nature to bless us, as Hebrews 11 says. So, Lord, our response, let our response be the same as Mary's response, that when we look at you and your death, burial, and resurrection, and all that you've given up for us, May our response be like Mary's. And may we not come to your kingdom with spoon in hand, but may we come to your kingdom with a ladle to give out. Because we will never be able to repay all that you've done for us. Father, I ask right now that you would just move on the hearts of people. Search our hearts. Try us, O oh God, as David said. Try us to see if there be any wicked way in us. And as the band begins to sing, I'm just going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to search your heart. Where are you struggling? Where is it in your life that you need prayer? If I can ask Lori and Aaron to come down on this side, and if I can get Lynn and Amy to come down on this side, as we close out in song, just have a moment with God. It might be the only moment you've had all week. But have that moment. 